From west to east and kingdom to kingdom, you're listening to the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. Connecting with Walt is brought to you by Dreams Unlimited Travel, experts at helping you plan the perfect Disney vacation. Visit them on the web at dreamsunlimitedtravel.com. Hey there, hi there, ho there, and welcome to episode 205 of the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. I am your host and Diz historian Michael Bowling, and I am joined by my co-host, executive producer, and good friend Craig Williams. Craig, how are you today? I'm doing fantastic. How are you, Michael? I'm doing well. You'd be very happy to be out here. People are putting up their Christmas decorations really early this year. I have noticed in our neighborhood, completely shocking me, that people are being really slow about putting up their Christmas decorations. So that makes me excited that uh, your area, at least, is getting in the the holiday spirit. But Florida has also been up and down with our weather right now in terms of like mm. cold spells. I feel like there's a lot of people who probably want to put their decorations up. But, you know, when when we're feeling the, the chilling 60 degree weather you know it's you, you don't leave the house you just crank the heater up and, <laughs> Chilling and you, 60 degree weather yeah you get as many blankets <laughs> as possible and you really just uh you really buckle down and wait for the storm to pass <laughs> yeah now here we don't see the push until really after thanksgiving but oh people have been putting them up for weeks now and uh, so it's been interesting yeah, we we do have some in our area, but it's very, very light compared to years past. I think, you know, with Florida being a hotbed for uh, real estate over the past year and a half, I think, like, a lot of people have also moved out of our neighborhood and just uh, relocated to different areas and, and such. So I, I've noticed, I noticed with Halloween and now I'm noticing with Christmas, too, some of the people who used to go all out decorating just their houses were were dark this year around so that's Mm. it's a little sad but i'm hoping i'm hoping people gravitate towards having the christmas spirit as early as possible because you know i i can't i can't really judge anyone because i don't have my lights up yet and we still have halloween stuff strewn all about our house so (laughs) i have some work to do yeah, I, I don't put them up till after Thanksgiving, but I'm trying to find somebody to do it for me this year. I I decided after doing all the Halloween decorations, I thought, I don't know if I want to climb a ladder this year for Christmas, but we'll see. So, yeah. But anyway, but speaking of Christmas, I hear we already got some Christmas memories in from listeners for yeah. our holiday show. Yeah, we absolutely have. And uh, if you skipped last week's episode by some chance and uh, you're hearing about this for the first time, uh, much like our Walt Disney World 50th Anniversary Memories episode, we are taking submissions from all of you out there uh, in terms of what are your favorite Disney Parks Christmas memories that you might have. And that goes for Walt Disney World, Disneyland, and if you are 
an international uh, international listener and you have a memory to share from one of the international parks or you just happen to be visiting an international park over Christmas, uh, please, please share your memories with us. And we will either read it if you feel more comfortable writing it all out in email or we will play your recording if you want to record it like on your phone or computer and then send me the audio file. We will we will get your story out there and include it in the episode. So uh, you still you still have time as you're here in this uh, to to get us get something in. Uh, we uh, probably just a couple more days. Um, cutoff really should be uh, to getting us either the text or audio should be on uh, Sunday the the twenty first, preferably. Um, you know, if we get we if we get a couple stray ones in right at the end on uh, sometime that week, if it's audio, it can be included. But if you're writing it out, it has to be into us no later really than than Sunday the twenty first. Uh, but yeah, then we'll be releasing the episode at the end of that week on the twenty sixth. It'll be your Black Friday uh, listening as you're out shopping or sitting at home shopping. All these deals that have already been available for three weeks now <laughs> and uh and you can listen to everyone else's memories as you start to transition into the the holiday season so uh, if you want to email me your story or email me your audio it's craig at disneyinfo.com that is my email where you will definitely not get a bounce back because my mailbox is full so once again c-r-a-i-g at disneyinfo.com so, and we look forward to hearing right. your stories. Absolutely. And this, you know, can be any, you know, anything in this holiday season. So it doesn't have, it can be Christmas, Hanukkah, New Year's. So any of that. Heck, so. It's, it, it's going to release the day after uh, Black Friday. So if it's it something be. Thanksgiving too. Yeah, why Thanksgiving. Not? Mm-hmm. Maybe you had that big meal at Liberty Square Tavern. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> on it, Thanksgiving. I feel Who like knows? we also have to include Boxing Day too. I'm still not quite sure what it means besides you you box stuff up. But uh, that was the day when you gave your you gave gifts to your servants oh. and tradespeople. Interesting. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I never knew that. Well, that's, you know, my family is British, so <laughs> I, I always forget that. So <laughs> yeah. of course you have the the insight on it. So, but. But now it's, uh, I don't know if people still do that. My parents did that. They would, like, give gifts to the mailman and, you know, other people, too, day after Christmas. Anyway, well, yeah, so look forward to to getting those memories from you and sharing them. So that's going to be a fun, fun um, episode, I think. So, well, on our previous two episodes, we've talked about the panels at Give Kids the World, um, you know, the very first Diz family reunion, which is held on September 9th through the 11th, 2021. In this episode, I'm going to share what I learned from the remaining panels I attended. And these focused on theme parks and attractions. And if you listen to last week's episode, some of these were uh, from Jason Sorrell and Tony Baxter, whom you heard my interview with them uh, last week. So the first one was The Art of Reassurance, a life in themed entertainment with Jason Sorrell. And the host was Joe Warren, and he was an actor, writer, and director with Universal. And, and, and so he asked, you know, sort of what is the art of reassurance? 
And in themed entertainment, Jason said, we create happiness, comfort, and escape. So in a depression, people flooded to movies. It was an escape and assured them that it would be okay. The same thing happened during World War II. And since the 1950s, the theme parks have provided a literal escape and reassurance, comfort, and tangible assurance that everything will be okay. But during the pandemic, we didn't have the memories and the theme parks. So now people are surging back to films and parks for that reassurance. So Jason's career began with the Walt Disney World College program when he was 19 years old, and he was a Jungle Cruise skipper. And he said that was a great first job. He felt that he um, had found his niche. And he really bought into Disney's um, Promote From Within program and philosophy. So when he was 20 years old, he was working for Epcot Entertainment, and all he said was, was that he was a good friend with Pluto then. And a friend of his suggested that he write a Christmas show. And that pris- Christmas show ended up getting produced at Epcot. Hmm. Yeah. So then he was hired in creative entertainment. And this is in December 1991. So he, now he's 21 years old. And he went to the Disney MGM Studios. That's where he was assigned. Well, in 1992, Craig, one of your favorite films, Encino Man, you know, came out. Yep. Yes. And so Jason suggested that as the tram came down Residential Street, that they have the Encino Man characters run out of the house and dance, I'm Too Sexy. (laughs) And now, I never saw the film, so I have no idea. But, you know, was there a scene like that in the film? Um, I don't remember the song I'm Too Sexy in the movie. Granted, it's probably been 10 or 15 years since I watched it, but, uh, it, I mean, it would have, I feel like it still would have fit. So, uh, if, it, like, if you know nothing about the movie, it's Brendan Fraser was like a caveman that was frozen, just happened to be in Encino, California, and, Unthawed there was discovered by Pauly Shore and um, <laughs> and uh, what the, I can't think of his name um, Samwise from uh, from Lord of the Rings and uh, and Rudy and I oh yeah okay what it, it, yeah it's it's both of them and they discover Brendan Fraser so it is uh, it's it's a pretty goofy movie but now i'm just embarrassed i can't think of his name because he he does like all well, neither can i but i can see his face yeah aston sean aston sean aston i always think of his dad john aston from adam's mm-hmm. family and then it just it all it all fades away so even though yeah. they sound basically the same but yes yes so uh that's your lesson tonight on encino man so you're welcome all right, yeah, yeah, I'll definitely. That sounds like you know Oscar-worthy material there. I'll have to check it out. Um, Great. Anyway, well, Jason uh, was told that it's that this is an attraction, the tram ride. So you have to talk to Imagineering. So then Jason did went to Imagineering, presented the idea, and he was told it's a cute idea, but you need to have a story. And so in five minutes, he came up with a story, and it was a hit with guests. Hmm. So apparently, I don't know, listeners out there, do you have any 
photos of characters from Encino Man out there dancing <laughs> on I, Residential Street. I would love to see that. I didn't yeah, know really? that. I don't remember that ever happening. So uh, I, I would love to see some photos from it. Yeah, yeah. Then the film Sister Act came out. And since there was a church at the end of Residential Street, Jason suggested having sisters come out and sing a dance to a song from the film. And it was a hit with guests, but not with the Orlando Sentinel. And then in his presentation, first of all, I think he had a little video clip of the the sisters, I have quote, finger quotations there, coming out and dancing as the tram pulls up. And but and then and then the reviews from the Orlando Sentinel. Let's just say they were unimpressed. Oh, that's a shame. It. Yeah. <laughs> so in uh, 1994, Universal was hiring, and on paper, he looked like he knew what he was doing because you know he had already had two shows, you know, under his belt. Well, three. He had the Christmas show. He was a Jungle Cruise skipper. No, that so it looked like he knew what he was doing, and they were putting together plans for Halloween Horror Nights. And he was asked to come up with ideas for um, live entertainment. And so he sort of did the prices right with Beetlejuice as a host, and he had a couple of other ideas. And he was hired and was asked, What can you do with Bill and Ted? So the original show was. Bill and Ted's Excellent Halloween Adventure. And they, it looked like it was sort of, um, he said like a sort of a time cop kind of thing. Every year it was, he based it on time cop, he said. And every year it was treated as a Saturday Night Live script. Mm-hmm. It had new gags. They refreshed it every year and it got bigger and more popular every year. I remember we took our kids to see this. And um, they enjoyed it because yep. they did a version of this in California at at um, Universal Studios Hollywood as well. Yep, they uh, they did it on both coasts, and it finally wrapped up uh, somewhere around 2016, 2017 is when it officially ended. I mean, it was I, I only had the pleasure of seeing it from like 2011 through. Uh, when it when it wrapped up, so I never got to see it in the early days when you know when he was creating it and and with all the other team that was on it and such. Uh, but it truly was ridiculous, just from the premise of you know it's it, until they released the Bill and Ted movie just a year or two ago. You know, it'd been twenty years since. Uh, I mean, I guess Bill and Ted was still fresh in everyone's minds back then, but the fact that it made it into the the 2010s when there hadn't been a movie for 20 years, and it's just the characters plopped down in popular culture moments from the last year is just always dirty, raunchy, and ridiculous. But yeah, Hollywood lost it earlier when they had a, a joke that got pushed all around on on YouTube and that caused that show to shut down, but it was, uh, it was entertaining. Okay. And then they, um, they reinvented the haunted houses with stories and that they were three acts. They had a beginning, middle and an end. And then they started to incorporate, you know, IP intellectual property into it. Going through the haunted houses never occurred to me. There was a story. Oh, but you go through them more than 
I ever have. I only gone through the haunted houses a couple times. Once with you. Yeah, yeah, that was uh, that was fun back in 2014. We went mm-hmm. in Hollywood together. Uh, yeah, the, the the houses. I mean, they're all written up as treatments with full stories, and it, it just depends on whether or not the the story translates well once it's put in the house. Sometimes, sometimes they do. Uh, just excellent when, especially when they're like originals, and this story translates well. That's like. That's the best, but with movies, the intellectual property, it's a little bit easier to, to piece together the story if you know the movies. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, no, they're they're more serious than people think. <laughs> it's not just, ooh, scary. Yeah, I would have liked to have seen the one they did on The Haunting of Hill House, the television series. Yeah. Because I really like that series. Yeah, it was, and- it was unique. It really was. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, uh, well, Universal made a deal then with Barney, our, our purple dragon friend, or purple dinosaur friend, and to prom- and they made a deal to promote him in the studio to appeal to a younger clientele. So Jason wrote A Day in the Park with Barney, and he said he totally immersed himself in Barney, and he had he had children um, later in life. So his children were sort of a Barney age, I guess, too. And so he watched like all of Barney. And he, he said that he developed a respect for Barney. And uh, and that show ran for 25 years. I think it only recently shut down. Uh, yeah, no, it shut down uh, 2021 still in this past calendar year. Maybe maybe 2020 at the, the later part of the year but it ran a long time and i always felt uncomfortable every time i had to go into that theater (laughs) (laughs) because you were the tallest and oldest (laughs) i always tried to sit in the back row too because i was the tallest i was the oldest and i was the weirdo with a video camera so that just it never looks good (laughs) so well Islands of Adventure was in development at the time, and he was working on the live entertainment, so Jason was invited to be the show writer for the Jurassic Park ride. And it was adapted and expanded from the California version, and he wrote the pre-show, so he was treating it as a theme park. I love that attraction. I've not seen it since they redid it. But, um, But then... This all qualified him to work for Walt Disney Imagineering as a show writer. And being an Imagineer, he said, is something you've always wanted to be and nothing like you thought it would be. And I've heard that from others I know who have worked in Imagineering. And um, he was assigned to work on a new tombstone for the Haunted Mansion. And he created the one for Leota Tombs. So isn't that isn't that cool? Now yeah. we know who's behind that one. Yeah, I did. I yeah. didn't know that at all. So, yeah. gosh, that's a big impact. But he also worked on the endless staircase scene, and he was told because he had an idea for it, and he was told that it had to fit into the current architecture. And I, it's, that's a controversial one. I know friends. I know people in Imagineering that. In, in when that was first created and installed that did not care for it and others loved it. And I like it. I think it's really cool. Really cool yeah. effect. The MC Escher stairs, I call it. Yeah. 
Oh, I, I love it too. The only thing I would complain about it is I think that they need to like increase like the black light in the room or whatever the effects is to brighten it up. Because mm-hmm. when you go in there on like a bright Florida summer day and you get, if it's a five minute wait, you walk in, you can't, you can't even see the stairs in there. It's so dark, but that's I, other than that. I love it, especially at night when your mm-hmm. eyes really do adjust and you can see all of the little details that were put in as the stairs, as you know, the footprints are moving and such. It's, it's really cool. Yeah. He also had uh, some of the um, effects, new effects that were added were Jason's ideas. He suggested we hear the stretching room stretch and we, and that we see the wallpaper eyeballs blink. Huh. And I, and those are effects I love too. They were, and there were effects that I assumed were always around, but Mm-mm. I guess I never really noticed it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I remember when those were added in because I was hoping those would get added in at Disneyland, but they're a little more careful with the Disneyland haunted mansion. Yeah. Uh, what they do to it because it's the original one. Makes sense. So, yeah. Anyway, then he worked on Star Tours The Adventure Continues, and they called it Star Tours 3.5 because it's between the sequels. And the backstory is that Star Tours is transporting rebel troops and weapons under the Empire's nose. And then they um, they worked on a Star Wars land, and that ultimately became Galaxy's Edge. And then New Fantasyland was an idea that originated in Florida. Glendale asked, um, you know, Imagineering out in Glendale, asked for an e-ticket attraction. And Jason suggested a neighborhood like an enchanted forest where we encounter characters in a new way. But some of his ideas ultimately got removed for, um, you know, the the Seven Dwarfs Mine Train. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we all remember that. And I remember on one of my backstage magic trip, that was when they made the change and they were, we saw the model for new fantasy land, but they were getting, but they also had the model at the side of the mine train and they were getting ready to take out the, um, the character, the, the princess meet and greets that were going to be there to plop in the, um, mine train model. Mm, yeah. So very cool. Yeah. And then he named a, a Disney Cruise Line ship, and he got Tony Baxter in as a character in Big Thunder Mountain Railroad yep. out there at the Magic Kingdom. And then he returned to Universal Creative as a creative director. And he's responsible, and I've not been on this attraction because I'm not sure how intense it is, and I think it's clo- it's been closed when I've been out at Universal. Um, the Race Through New York starring Jimmy Fallon. He was told to create an attraction starring Jimmy Fallon, so he based it on the games and races that Jimmy Fallon does on the show. Yeah, it's um, not something that I would want to be responsible for, but, you know. (laughs) I've heard a lot of critical reviews of that attraction. Yeah, I I think it's... I I wouldn't blame the attraction itself. Uh, the, The queue area that apparently looks like the one of the rating uh not rating waiting rooms on uh on whatever the rockefeller tour that they have apparently or the tonight show waiting mm-hmm. area i'm not sure which one because i've never i've never done that or been to any of that but apparently it like it looks just the same and it was it, it's such a cool little pre-show area and waiting area 
but then the ride is just super lackluster and i i think it comes down to i don't like jimmy fallon <laughs> he's oh, he is okay. not my favorite late night person by mm-hmm. any means so he's better okay. than uh better than james corden but i don't <laughs> i don't care for him is it an intense ride uh it's it is a motion simulator so i feel like i feel like it it matches well but there are moments where it makes me even get a little queasy uh so if i get queasy on a ride like that then it's not it's not the best oh okay all righty so so is it more like star tours or more like the spider-man kind of attraction not i mean it's stationary like star tours but you are not in a box it is like these it's basically like three long rows of like if you remember for a while it like smaller amusement parks and stuff they'd have like some of the rides where you sit in three rows and it would like just loop you around in a circle a little bit it's kind of like that kind of seating and then you're in Mm. front of a giant like not an imax size screen but still a a very large screen so Uh. it's just it's an awkward ride vehicle and yeah yeah i'm not i'm not a fan of that style of motion simulator i do like the star tours or or uh spider-man style ones And I like the Simpsons one that it, was Back to the Future. It, it's very close to that. So okay. just with That's the what one. I was thinking. So, yeah, you would you okay. would probably enjoy it then. Okay. Okay, and then um, he was told to creative direct a park. And that was Universal Beijing. Mm. And it was in soft opening when uh, when they had the Dis Family Reunion. Yeah, I actually, one of the guys that was in my wedding was over there opening up the park and helping them get their, uh, their, all their act together and making sure it was running cool. So I, I think it's an incredible park in pictures. I can't wait to hopefully see it one day in person. It looks really great. And some of the technology they've used looks mm-hmm. really neat. That's a, sort of cool about the international parks because they're newer they have all the latest technology yep yep well, that's uh, jealous yeah and now he's working on epic universe which is under development in orlando and he could not talk about it hmm. so yeah anyway so i don't know i don't know if you've heard anything about that a, a decent amount yeah <laughs> mm-hmm. anything you can share um, it's, I mean, it's most stuff that we've already, uh, put out there, I think, but I also have heard other stuff, so I don't want to put my oh, okay. foot in my mouth. <laughs> okay. Are you excited for it? Yes. Yes. Okay. Good. So, all right. And that was pretty much the end of that. It was a good panel. So uh, he, he's, he's a funny person. Yes. Too. A lot of personality. Yeah, Absolutely. The next one was um, that I attended was Materializing the Haunted Mansion. And this was with Tom Morris and Kat Cressida, who, of course, if you remember two episodes back, she's the voice of Constance Hatchaway and a few other characters in the theme parks. And the host was Jeff Barnes. And so, and then what they started out with was Jeff started out with, was a quote from Walt Disney um, him saying, I'm told I'm not supposed to scare the public, but shucks people like to be scared. (laughs) 
they're sort of forgetting that a little now, I think. Yes. But, yeah. But uh, from 1963 to 69, the Haunted Mansion sat dormant at Disneyland. And Tom Morris was, uh, he was sort of was like me. Um, every time during that era, you went, when he, when he went to the park, he waiting for it to be open. That would always be one of the first things you'd run to is to check out and see has the Haunted Mansion opened. Um, he, most families went once a year. And so he would run to the gates of the haunted house to see if it had opened. And of course, all the rumors that we heard back in the day was it was too scary. Uh, this, and someone had had a heart attack, you know, on it. And that's why they shut it down. And, you know, all kinds of things were swirling around about it. Well, Ken Anderson and Marvin Davis did the elevation work and, uh, Dean Tavalaris did the elevation designs and was a production designer for Francis Ford Coppola as well. So all the guidebooks in 63 and 64 said that it was coming next year. Then it said it's coming soon. And then Marty Scar wrote a sign advertising for ghouls and hung it up there. And I think we've all seen that, you know, in, in photos and things like that. And the Haunted Mansion sat there. Um, it was there before New Orleans Square opened in 1966. And those of you who followed the Disneyland at 60 series, you know, I talked about that a lot. And then we had Jeff Bam on for a Halloween show last year. We talked a lot about the Haunted Mansion. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it was originally planned to be a walkthrough. Pirates of the Caribbean was also planned to be a walkthrough. And there would be... Um, two self there would be two separate haunted mansion walkthroughs with 1200 guests per hour with two separate exits and then mark davis intended the ghost host to end with now find your way out and there would be three holes for mazes for uh, of for guests to find their way out into the graveyard I thought, now that's a fun concept. So it's too bad somehow they can't incorporate something like that. When you get off, you know, off the Omnimover and you walk out and there's a maze or something. Yeah, I I like the sound of that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So elevators were in the mansion in Disneyland's and they go 18 and a half feet down. Now, in the summer of 1966, now they had photos of all this, and there were photos I had never seen before of the construction photos and the hole in the ground and all of that for this. Um, In the summer of 66, the hole in the ground for the show building was used for keeping parade floats in there and lockers um, were in the mansion for the entertainment cast members. And then in 1968, the decision was made to move forward with Omnimovers, and then the mansion was built in less than a year. It always amazes me back in those days how quickly they built things. Yeah, I mean, it's it's still possible to build quickly. It just seems like in the, the world of watching money now, it's just easier to to spend less money over more years than just get it done up front and get it open (laughs) yeah yeah now the original plaques for the haunted mansion were shiny brass not the patina coated ones of today and they showed contrasting photos of that now 
Herb Ryman designed the Federalist-style mansion for the Walt Disney World Haunted Mansion in 1967. And he originally, it was also designed as a walkthrough. Ted Rich worked with um, Herb Ryman in designing the early drawings of the Magic Kingdom's mansion. And um, then they had a quote. You can dream and build and create the most beautiful mansion in the world, but it takes dead people to make the nightmare a reality. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Then Cat Cressida spoke for a bit. Um, and the question was asked, when and how did the bride start? And she said that Walt always had the idea for a haunted house in his parks. And there was always a bride story. And the, and the central figure was always a doomed bride, a scary bride, or a murderous bride. And um, the, now this is interesting. You'll, you might want to Google this, Craig. The publicity photos for the 1964 film, Hush, Hush, Sweet Charlotte, was the inspiration for the stretching room portrait of Constant Hatchaway in her later life when she's sitting on a tombstone and she's all done with chopping up husbands. And they showed um, the publicity photo for it. And it is a character, it is, I, I haven't seen Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte in ages, but there is a tombstone and there are characters there with the tombstone from the film. And all that. And that gave them the idea for that stretching portrait. Oh, I will have to look those up because I'm not yeah. familiar with it either. So, And the Raven was played around with sort of on and off as being an avatar for the ghost hosts. But then they decided that it would be too much and it was dropped. Although the Raven is still around there. In a lot of a lot of times when you hear the ghost host speak, mm -hmm. you will see the raven mm -hmm. there. And that was about it for that panel. Still and nice. then it, for that one, it was the images. They had some great photos. Yeah, yeah. That one. And then finally, Walt Disney Imagineering Magic with Tony Baxter. And the host was Jason Sorrell. This was right before the interview that I did. And the funny thing was, is that the, the interview was supposed to be at 530. And Tony comes out and says, this is going to run over time. <laughs> and that's, remember, I texted you and said the interview's not happening at 530. Yep, I remember. <laughs> <laughs> and so you told me when it looks like he's wrapping up to head over. Yeah. And I headed over when I knew it was the last thing he worked on. And it was still like 30, 40 minutes yep. before he showed up. It was a long so, time. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. So I don't have the full panel here, but I have a lot of it. Yep. So, uh, so he was introduced as artist, storyteller, imagineer, and Disney legend, Tony Baxter. And, um, he's, his, first thing that he ever designed was and he did this when he was young and all that that's just because a lot of people when they want to get an imaginary they start doing things when they're kids and all that just for fun designing things and he designed a mary poppins attraction and it's you start off on a carousel and then your horse jumps off into the jolly holiday scene. And so he was, and so he presented this 
and when he um, was sort of had a tour when he was like a teenager, when when he you know because he was working as a you know an ice cream scooper at Imagineering, so he had sort of an interview with them and he showed them this concept and he was encouraged to study art. And so what she did, he also liked engineering. So he made this model of this marble run, which really attracted their attention. I remember he talked about this before and they, they just kept calling people over and, and having him run this, drop the marbles through and all of that. And the Imagineers, I remember were really fascinated by how he had designed and, and made this marble run. How interesting. Yeah. And then he he created a Viking ride concept with a dragon, and a, and a dragon that would play into attractions later on. So he was first when he was first hired, he was hired to work on Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea attraction at the Magic Kingdom, and because of his theater design background, he worked on rock work back in nineteen seventy one for that attraction, and then when the park had opened, he came back to Imagineering, there was really nothing to do. So he started to work on Big Thunder Mountain Railroad, which was part of the Western River Expedition, but which was, you know, the Pirates of the Caribbean attraction, like attraction, it was going to be at Magic Kingdom. And we've talked about that in the past. And so he had to redesign it for Disneyland, because they wanted it first. And so, um, so the Disneyland Big Thunder Mountain Railway is based on Bryce Canyon. And then the Walt Disney World version is based on Monument Valley. And then at Disneyland Paris, what's really cool about that, and we've talked about this, it's on, it's in, out in the middle of Tom Sawyer Island. So, which I love. Then he worked on the Seas Pavilion for Epcot and he wanted it to be more fanciful. So, you would have seen King Triton as a giant audio animatronic figure who would welcome you in. And then you would go on a boat ride to see base alpha. So, which is an interesting concept that who knows, they probably with, they had King Triton there. They probably would have made it into when they had to re theme it to an IP. Maybe they would have made it the little mermaid. I was thinking the exact same thing. (laughs) (laughs) And the Land Pavilion, and I, I've seen his illustrations and models for this, and it's so sad they didn't do this. He had a biome idea that he worked on with the um, University of Arizona. And this really looks spectacular. When we get to this land, this pavilion in our, in our Epcot series, it's going to be fascinating to talk about. And... The University of Arizona ended up building a version of it as the Ionosphere um, 2. So then he worked on Journey into Imagination. And Figment, as we all famously know, was originally orange and green. But the sponsor Kodak said he can't be green because that's Fujifilm's colors. So he became purple. And Exitentio um, refined his design. A bit, and then the Sherman Brothers wrote the lyrics and music for that pavilion. Of course, and he was apprenticed to Claude Coates, and so he, as part of that apprenticeship, he painted a background and he hung it over his desk at Imagineering, and that got him the job of redesigning Disneyland's Fantasyland. 
And again, that's something we've talked about on the previous show where it was, went back to more what Walt wanted for Fantasyland, which was more of a, a, you know, a fanciful storybook village idea, but they just didn't have the money for it. And, um, I've always wondered why they never carried that through at the Magic Kingdom. Yeah. They kept the pavilion style that, you know, they did at Disneyland because they just didn't have the money to do anything bigger. Yeah, so. I'm over them. I'm ready for a change. Yeah, yeah, I think it needs to be, I think, updated a bit. Um, now, Star Tours, the idea started out with at Ron Miller's winery. They all had a big meeting at, at Silverado Winery, you know, and uh, Diane Disney Miller served lunch. And that's, it was Ron Miller's idea. This is where they got the start for Star Tours and bringing in George Lucas. And we've gone over that story in previous episodes, too. Then Ron Miller was asked to step down as the CEO and all that, and Michael Eisner was brought in. And Star Tours, the concepts and all that were underway, but it was going to be a few years before, because they had a lot of technical things to work out with those simulators and all that and filming and everything. Michael Eisner wanted a George Lucas attraction in the park by summer. And that's how they got Captain EO. And um, it was a break breakthrough at the time. The park was open for three days, you know, when um, Star Tours opened and all that. And so, and as a counterpoint for doing an attraction outside of the Disney canon. That's why they created Splash Mountain. Um, Mark Davis did the characters for America Sings that had been in there, and he did the model sheets for Song of the South. So the characters looked the same. And so that was one of, that was sort of Tony Baxter's inspiration for making um, it with the, you know, the zippity doodah, you know, the songs and all of that, the, the, the stories, the, the animated bits that were from Song of the South. So in there. And then Disneyland Paris, he was directed to make it the most beautiful park. And Tony Baxter thought it would be a dream to live in a theme park. So he proposed to build a hotel at the entrance to the park. So, which at the time was unique. So... And now that's like becoming, gosh, I think even Universal's going to do it, I think, with Epic Universe. Yep. So. That is a part of the plans for there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the dragon in the castle that's in the dungeon at Disneyland Paris and Sleeping Beauty Castle, that's a homage to the dragon in the Ray Harryhausen film, The Seventh Voyage of Sinbad, which was one of my favorite films when I was a little boy. Yeah, I I haven't actually watched it ever. So, Oh, gosh. I loved all the Ray Harryhausen films. And they would play them on television all the time. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, in my day, when I was little, they were desperate to show things on TV. So, um, took whatever they was would cheapest. run. Yeah. So, they would run Ray Harryhausen films all the time. Especially, and then on Creature Features, you know, Saturday nights, they would always run Ray Harryhausen yep. films. Yep. Yeah. Oh, you'll have to watch the Seventh Voyage of Sinbad. Uh, I I, it, I don't have anything against uh, 
the movies. I just um, it, it's just never been a thing like when it's on TCM that I'm able mm-hmm. to sit down and make time for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They they hold fond memories for me. Those um, Space Mountain, the Space Mountain of Disneyland Paris has three loops inside and and catapults you in, and one land there had to be related to the French and European culture, so. Discovery Land is based on Jules Verne and other visionaries and all that. And it's too bad they didn't continue to carry it through because then they plopped in Toy Story or Buzz Lightyear in there and they didn't even carry through the architecture or anything in that land mm-hmm. over to that attraction. It was a shame. Yeah. Um, and then he talked about Indiana Jones and the Temple of the Forbidden Eye, um, which... I, I just think is a great attraction. And he, uh, and he said that the opening of it was a half hour television special. And then attractions, he said, have to reflect what is current. And in California, people were no longer going to the Swiss Family Robinson Treehouse, but he wanted to save it. So Tony suggested it be rethemed to Tarzan because that was close to being released. Michael Eisner said, fine. Because he wanted to tear it out and put in merchand- merchandise, you know, uh, shop there. That would um, be terrible. I know. But Michael Eisner said it had to be um, ready for film opening, and which was very little time. And so um, Tony Baxter said they beat the movie by one day. I had, so. I had always assumed that it came out because of the movie's middling success. I didn't realize it was before. Yeah, yeah. So, and then he just briefly just showed some uh, images of Westcott, and I know at some point we'll do a show on Westcott or a, Westcott or a series of shows. And of course, that was a reimagining of Epcot for Disneyland, and it's sort of a shame that that never got built. But the neighbors and uh, Michael Eisner all sort of put a kibosh on that one. So, and then the redoing of the current, you know, the current Tomorrowland at Disneyland. He said, um, we did it for a dime and a dollar and paint. He said, you know, he, he realizes, you know, it was not good. And, um, he said rocket rods <laughs> because that was supposed to be the centerpiece. It was built on the people mover track. It had to go, um, dead still on the corners and it, it just, they just didn't have the money to build it correctly. So for that. Soren over California said sprung from one of his ideas and, and a napkin sketch that he did, which he showed that sketch. The um, He saved the submarine voyage. The day it closed, he vowed he was going to find a way to reopen it. And, you know, there was some, you know, any time any sort of a nautical film was released by the studio. There were the hopes that it was going to be popular enough so that they could resurrect the submarine like Atlantis. You know, they thought that was going to be the one. It didn't. The submarine voyage was almost going to become a warehouse for character merchandising until Finding Nemo came out and was a hit. And that enabled him to pitch Submarine Voyage with Nemo and Friends, and he could save the submarines. 
So we might not be thrilled with Nemo in there, but you know, I'm happy we have the submarines. Yeah, it's better than nothing. It's better mm-hmm. if they, it's, than if they would have paved over it and made it more shopping. Yes, yes, which is what was going to happen. Yeah, and then. Um, then great moments with Mr. Lincoln. He said about 10 years ago, they reinvented it. They added homages to all the um, patriotic music from attractions and added a large sketch of the Gettysburg Address. He said that they have a skeleton for Lincoln's features, or he has a skeleton for Lincoln's features or something. I, that's what I jotted down because at this point, I knew he was wrapping, was close to wrapping up. So I, I wrote that very quickly. I'm trying to remember what is he talking about, but it must be the the model or something that they used to create Lincoln. And then he was going. To, his next topic was fantasy fair, and then I left. And so, um, but of course that's that's the old Carnation Plaza Gardens, and I think I I like fantasy fair. I think they've done a nice job with it. I wish they would bring back the shows. Yeah, that were in there, the pantomime shows, because those are just so well done. Yeah, always and, very popular. Yeah, and I like his little, the little Figaro that they have up there. That, oh, the yeah, yeah. Sleeping yeah. bird wakes <laughs> him up and all that. I just think that's so cute. And the little music box that's there. I mean, there are just so many delightful touches in there. It's a, it's a really nice extension of Fantasyland. In there, they did a nice job. With it. And you can get LeFou's yeah. brew there, although I think they call it something else. <laughs> so, um, anyway, and that was that's about it. That pretty much wraps up the um, panels there. And it was a great, great weekend for everyone that I talked to who actually went to the panels. So mm-hmm. I'm so bummed out that I had to miss, uh, especially the ones that you, you spoke about today with. Jason Sorrell and Tony Baxter, even though we did have the awesome chance to interview him. And of course you heard that last week, but yeah, just, it's always one of my favorite things about this job is getting to attend conventions and hearing these stories and sitting there with a group full of people who finds all this stuff just as interesting as we do. So. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It was great fun. Looking forward to when they do this next year, what, whatever they're going to call it. Yep. But, uh, yep. I'm looking forward to that. Looking forward to Destination D. I'm looking forward to Star Wars Celebration. I'm And then D23 coming after. I am looking forward to, to doing more of these conventions too, in general. I, I booked my hotel and all that for the d23 expo and i just have to hope i get a ticket for it <laughs> yeah, i see and i'm confident enough i'll get the ticket so i will wait to book my hotel until all of the rates are just beyond ridiculous yeah well i um for post d23 expo i uh i booked at the grand californian um dvc villa oh how nice. so that i could stay at disneyland for a few days afterwards so nice. So, so I had to get in. I was shocked <laughs> that I got one actually. So, but now it's time to take a look at this week in Disney history. Well, as always this week, so much has to do with the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. Mm. <laughs> so I, I threw a few in there, but not too much. But um, but November twenty first. 
The new centerpiece castle that replaced Sleeping Beauty Castle opened at Hong Kong Disneyland as part of the park's 15th anniversary celebration on November 21st, 2020. The castle has been redesigned to pay tribute to 13 Disney princesses and heroines, including Snow White, Rapunzel, Tiana, Aurora, M- Merida, Anna, and Elsa, Jasmine, Mulan, Pocahontas, Belle, Ariel, Cinderella and Moana. What is the name of the castle? I actually do not know this. I didn't realize that they also renamed it with the uh, update. They did. And I don't like, I don't know how, what I think now that it's home to, you know, it, it's not devoted to a different princess, mm-hmm. but um, each castle, but it's a castle of magical dreams. I don't like that name at all. No, I don't either. <laughs> so. But I'm looking forward to some, hopefully someday going back to Hong Kong when it's all their expansions are done and seeing it. Because I, I just love this park. I can't wait to and, see it one day. Yeah, it, it is a charming, charming park. And um, anyway, you would like it. Okay, November 22nd. On November 22nd, 1999, Bob Hope appeared at Disneyland to inaugurate what new tradition? Mm-hmm. A tradition at Disneyland. I'm I'm not sure. The first official lighting of the holiday lights at the park. Oh, there's a there's like a official celebration for that every year? Apparently there is. I I don't <laughs> think I ever realized that. I mean I'm I'm rarely in town for the start of the Christmas stuff. So I I think maybe one year I was at the very first night of Christmas stuff, but yeah, that that's news to me. Yeah, I don't know if it's still a new tradition or not, but um, if it's a still a tradition, it seems like you know just the day after Halloween. Yeah, <laughs> they yeah. just light everything up. So okay, November twenty third, the ninety first Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade takes place in New York City on November 23rd, 2017. What Disney character balloon debuted in this parade? I bring it up because of um, the the recent Disney um, Plus days. Yeah. um, I'm honestly, I'm not sure about this one either because nothing's sticking out to me in 2017 that's big enough for that. Olaf, the snowman from Frozen. That seems a little late, but I mean, I guess a lot of Frozen stuff didn't come till later. So, yeah, well, it takes a while for the um, parades for these balloons to be made. I heard they're making. Uh, I heard this year. I think I saw a photo of it. Um, Grogu from the Mandalorian is the big balloon oh, this that's year. A, that's a. That's definitely going to. Uh, Attract some eyes to it. That'll get people excited. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, November 24th. What Walt Disney World holiday tradition debuted on November 24th, 1995? Huh. Um, I think this would have been uh, Osborne Lights. That's right. The Osborne family spectacle of lights. And then I think then they became dancing. 
a few years later. This brightened the Disney MGM Studios for the very first time and will become a yearly tradition due to its popularity. Initially constructed by Arkansas businessman Jennings Osborne as a gift for his six-year-old daughter Allison, the display will become one of the most popular attractions during the park's holiday season. I just remember how magical this seemed, even with the crowds. Yeah. This was just delightful. (laughs) Truly one of the best things ever. Yeah. Yeah, November 25th. On November 25th, 2011, the Walt Disney Company announced that they have canceled plans to build a Disney-branded hotel near which United States city? Um, I know we've talked about this. You might have even asked mm-hmm. me this question before. I... Okay. Sorry, I'm I'm sorry for the quiet here. I'm just trying to think it <laughs> through my head, but uh, um, I I don't remember. It's Washington D.C., and this was less than three years after spending eleven million dollars to buy land for the project. Disney acquired the property, fifteen acres in a development called National Harbor. I think it was in Maryland, just outside the District of Columbia, in May two thousand and nine. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that now. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, November 26th. What Disneyland attraction that had been closed since 2001 reopened on November 26th, 2008? I am... Okay. I think this would have been Sleeping Beauty Castle. The walkthrough. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. This this attraction allows guests into a dark castle with narrow hallways where they can relive the fairy tale of Sleeping Beauty Sleeping Beauty via a series of dioramas that portray scenes from the film. I love this walkthrough. Yeah, so do I. I I, I am enthralled with it every single time I go through, and I I feel like I always notice something just a little bit different mm-hmm. as I'm making my way through. I yeah, I love the little. I love the little special effects they put in. And I'm always hoping I'll see the goons. Yep, because you never know when they're going to pop up. Yep, <laughs> and all that. So, okay, November twenty seventh, Walt Disney Presents airs part two of Moochie of Pop Warner Football from Ticonderoga to Disneyland on November twenty seventh, nineteen sixty. In this concluding episode of Walt Disney's two-part miniseries, the Pee Wee's football team is set to play in the big title game held at Disneyland. But although Moochie Morgan, played by Kevin Corcoran, has his heart set on accompanying his teammates to Anaheim, if he continues to get poor grades in his American history class, he'll lose his eligibility. The episode includes a cameo by what Disney celebrity? I, I don't know. I've never seen this one. Yeah, Walt Disney. Oh, oh. that makes sense yeah. if they were, so, wanted to go to Disneyland. Yeah, I have to assume uh, Moochie gets his grades up. <laughs> Otherwise, <laughs> it would be kind of boring. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, okay, not bad this week. Okay, well, Craig, now that Disney Plus Day is behind us, what did you think? What were you excited about? Or did you, was it everything you hoped and dreamt it would be? 
Um, you know, I have a thing with content dumps like that where I I get excited because I look at it and say, "Wow, there's uh, there's so many things I can actually choose to watch." That then I end up choosing nothing, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and I'm that didn't happen this time. I did watch a handful of stuff already, but uh, unfortunately, it debuted over disney plus day debuted over my uh, wedding anniversary weekend away <laughs> and so i had to you know i had to just do a little bit of begging to watch just a little bit of what was on uh, on disney plus that day so i i got a couple things um but there's just there was so much that it's like what do you choose yeah, I thought that the announcements, the, the little announcements they did was a little bit lackluster. But because a lot of it just consisted of logos. Yeah. Uh, okay. And uh, and then a lot of it consisted of things we've already seen. Yes. <laughs> and I thought, and no Star Wars. Boy, is that the big complaint. Yeah. No Star Wars stuff. Yeah. But um, I, I've watched a little that came out. Like I watched all the little Olaf stories you know him retelling it those are cute it was and there's a yeah i like the moana one the best i don't know and it It just there's a right length yes three minutes (laughs) and did you watch the simpsons one i did yeah yeah it was i've never seen goofy have a beer before until that episode (laughs) I, I, i was shocked by the whole thing i thought oh my gosh disney greenlit this this i mean it was terrific yeah, but it, um, <laughs> there are some people who think that like Disney has just taken over complete control of the Simpsons and, you know, all the jokes that they let them make and the crossovers. That's all Disney just doing what they've really wanted to. But then something like this comes out and I, I don't how I don't understand how you would think that Disney themselves chose to actually do this short and wanted it. Uh this it just to me sounds like Simpsons has free reign and Disney's not even getting involved because it probably just, you know, writes checks for them. But mm. I can't see Disney making fun of themselves in this way. Not making fun, making light of a lot of the characters, I guess is the better way of putting it. Again, with like goofy drinking, which is just bizarre <laughs> in uh, in 2021 that. That Goofy is allowed to be drinking beer on a Disney Plus yeah, show. I think he's a little has a bout of depression there too that he's dealing with. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> great messages. Yeah, but it was hilarious. Um, oh my gosh, the song! And, oh, mm-hmm. anyway, it was great, folks. Yeah. If you haven't watched it, you've got to watch it. And um, and then I watched Ciao Alberto because I like Luca, and I thought it was it was a nice follow up to luca yeah i i wanted to watch that one and i know it's short so i'll probably watch it sometime in the next week mm-hmm. it's nice it's fun and it's a it's a bit heartwarming too and all that but um but the the actor that it does the voice for uh for um alberto he needs to um shave that cheesy little mustache he has <laughs> otherwise he's a he's a very good actor good. <laughs> But um, anyway, but I did see the Eternals finally. Oh yeah, what you Eternals? Think? I liked it. Well, you know, I, I waited to the second weekend because I just thought, oh, it's going to be crazy going in, and and I know people. It, it seems like people either love or hate this thing. I enjoyed it. I liked it. Now, of course, 
you've got to put aside any of your religious beliefs about how the world was created and all that going into this and just take it for what it is. And I en- I enjoyed it. I-, I thought it was really interesting. I thought it was interesting that maybe Thanos wasn't a villain after all when he did the snap. Mm-hmm. It sort of changed that storyline a bit. And I liked it. You know, I would wouldn't mind seeing some of these characters again, which I, I guess we are going to see them. Yes, they're going to be littered throughout other films. Yeah. And all that. But I'm I thought it was good. It. <laughs> oh, I didn't think it was the strongest film, but I enjoyed it. That's good. So, anyway, what what didn't you like about it? Oh, I mean, basically everything. I thought oh. the acting <laughs> was pretty atrocious at times. I thought the script wasn't very good. I thought it was overly long uh just mm-hmm. that i have to agree with that the pacing was so slow as molasses that uh it just it made it, it just made it go on forever and then it didn't help that the first half of the movie and I, I was about to say a third but i think it is more the literal the first half of the movie this basically the same way you're introduced to each of the characters you just get a repeat version of it over and over again and i'm i'm not saying what like what happens in the scenes and stuff because it is it would be spoilers for it but it just it's repetitive it's boring the acting just i was i, I didn't care about yeah, like most I, I agree of the with you a couple of the actors i was surprised by their level of acting I have to admit that. And and one was supposed to be like a primary actor for comedic relief, I think. Yes. And it's because he is a comedian, but I thought I thought it, there was there wasn't really a lot of restraint. Like it wasn't he not in like oh so many jokes needed to be told. It just it felt like unlike other Marvel movies they didn't know how to blend in the humor with it. So it just kind of fell flat, at least for when I saw it in my theater that I was in. No one really picked up on the the humor either. And I think, I, I, and I think I've said this at least one other place before, but I, I just feel like when they brought on uh, Chloe Zhao to, to do Eternals, they also let her rewrite like half of the movie, I believe, is right around the point that she actually rewrote. So she turned it into her story. And I think when she did that, you know, she needed, if she wanted to write it, then she needed someone else to direct it so they could, you know, find the right way to cut down and interpret her work. Mm-hmm. But giving her free control over it, I feel like, I feel like there was no one, including, you know, like Kevin Feige yet. uh, marvel i don't think any anyone like that was really joining in to look at it a little bit more closely so i i I, but i also don't know the story of that i'll find out when the special features come out one day and you know get a better idea of the behind the scenes of but it just Mm -hmm. it was a marvel movie i watched it once i never need to watch it again (laughs) i might watch it again something like when it's on disney plus um, unless unless they really make it uh, matter to one of the other movies 
you know, down the road and like, oh, you didn't notice that Easter egg back in Eternals? Uh, you know, without that happening, I just, it was too long. I There's more and, movies I've never seen in the world that I could watch. Yeah. They also had one of the worst CG characters I have ever seen <laughs> towards the end of the film. I yes. was shocked by how badly rendered it was. Yeah. I, I thought all the actual, all the CGI in the movie was atrocious too, which I don't know if that was because of when the post-production happened on in the movie or if it was just the vision, uh, but it did not, it did not uh, sit well with me. <laughs> yeah. I, I hope that one character just, we never see again. Mm-hmm. So. Me too. <laughs> anyway, but, um, that, Anyway, but I, I like Dune better. <laughs> Me too. Because <laughs> I, I saw Dune a couple weeks before. I saw Dune opening weekend and all that. But, um, anyway, and then by the time this is released, of course, we will be at Destination D. Yep. I'm looking forward to that. I know you are too, Craig. I My favorite, favorite panel, uh, not panel, but convention of, you know, all these ones we do just because I love that you know every seat in the house is a great seat and the the panels they come up with i mean it usually you know usually it a lot of the conventions like with d23 they're always very interesting but you always at least have that regret of being like oh maybe i should have went to this one instead of the one that i went to and uh with with Destination D, I feel like that rarely happens. And if if they know it's not like the strongest panel, I feel like it's a little bit shorter than some of the other ones. Uh, the amount of time that they get, but uh, I love that it's just it's you basically set up camp on uh, one day. You get to be a part of all the information because there's enough room for every single person that has a ticket. No one gets left out unless they want to be left out, uh, and it just it makes it. Like it makes it like two days of just going to hear some stories or seeing a a crazy yeah. documentary unfold in front of your eyes. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm really excited about it. So um, looking forward to it. And um, so yeah, and uh, and I'm doing it all. I mean, uh, yeah, I'm doing Destination D. I'm going to give kids the world night of a million lights the night I arrive. So it is going to be a long day for me. <laughs> And then I'm seeing Cirque du Soleil drawn to life. I'm excited about that. And I'm going to the merriest after hours party. So I'm doing a lot in a few days that I'm there. Yeah, so. just need to find time to sleep. Apparently, I know. with all you're doing. <laughs> I know. So anyway, so it should be a lot of fun. So anyway, and finally, that's about it. So we, if you're there, please be sure to come up and say hello. Or if you see, you know, if you see me at the merriest after hours party or something, um, yeah, be sure to say hello. Love to, love to chat with you. So, yep. Yep. Anyway. And well, and of course, then we, we will, I think, I think we actually are going to be enjoying Thanksgiving before the next show. Because the next show drops on Thanksgiving, or the day after Thanksgiving. So we want to wish everyone out there who is celebrating Thanksgiving, we hope you have a happy, joyous, and blessed Thanksgiving celebration. Yes, I concur. (laughs) So with, with those that you love the most. 
So, Craig, happy Thanksgiving to you. Do you have any special plans? I'm going to eat some turkey. Mm-hmm. And uh, I always like to uh, pick up a couple of bottles of Beaujolais Nouveau uh, right around, uh, you know, the, when it releases the third Thursday of November. So, yeah, turkey, good wine, stuffing, mashed potatoes, all the fixings, and then a lot of sleep. <laughs> sounds good. Sounds good. You're not getting up at some ungodly hour to go shopping somewhere? Literally everything that I wanted this year has already gone on sale in the past couple of weeks. So I've already... I've already bought everything that I want, so now I need to start thinking about other people, I guess, oh. <laughs> would be the right thing. Isn't that what Christmas is about? <laughs> oh, yes. Yes. G- g- give to the one you love the most. <laughs> yeah. So I- I've got to focus on that next, now that yeah. I've done being selfish. Yeah, I'll be driving down to San Francisco to spend Thanksgiving with Carol's family. Hopefully my daughter gets the day off so she can also join us and then on my drive home that's when i will listen to christmas music because once thanksgiving dinner is over that's when the christmas season will start for me so the long drive home i will listen to christmas music i almost had a meltdown uh when when i was uh listening to the radio as of the time that we're recording it it was like late late the night before and they were playing it was on a station in orlando that plays christmas music like nonstop. but once it got so late at night they tried to sneak in regular uh, songs that the station would normally play and i got so mad did you call so, in I, I didn't call <laughs> in but i did i put it on scan and i was like i'm going to find another station that's playing christmas music and they're just there was nothing so oh, see i subscribed to sirius radio and and so there's I think they have 16 different stations yep. of Christmas music, depending upon what type of music you're in the mood for. Yeah, I usually I, I usually just plug my phone in and listen to the Christmas music that I want. But every now and then, I'm like, I'll, I'll take I'll I'll take a chance on the radio. What's the worst that can go wrong? And I, I experienced it. I will never <laughs> recover. <laughs> well, maybe the turkey and the wine will help. Mm, yeah they will (laughs) (laughs) well craig until next time how can our listeners connect with you as always you can find me on all the different shows i'm on on the disunplugged podcast network and you can find me on uh, facebook twitter instagram and social media at teleclaster and then you can email me craig at wdwinfo.com if it's you know any questions or anything that's text and does not require pictures and if you have to send me larger stuff uh specifically in this case larger emails uh including audio or lots of texts and pictures for the 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 christmas memories episode then you know that's you can use that but craig at wdwinfo.com for everything else but what about you michael you can send me messages at michael at wdwinfo.com. Twitter, I'm at mbowling121. Facebook, I'm michaelbowling connecting with Walt. Instagram, I'm michaelbowling the Diz. And you can connect with me and Craig on Twitter at connectingwalt. If you would like to listen to more shows on the history of Walt Disney, his studios, his Imagineers, and Disneyland, check out our Disneyland podcast archives for my Disney history episodes on the link Craig includes in our show notes or at disunplugged.com. And look for past episodes of Connecting with Walt on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, 
Google Play, Pandora, and Amazon Podcasts, where you can subscribe to our show and leave some positive reviews and ratings when possible. So thank you for making us a part of your day. And remember, I only hope that we don't lose sight of one thing, that it was all started by a man, Walt Disney, and his brother Roy. Roy.